You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen production. accepted and received by the leadership and I would hear some crazy stories of pastors telling talking about uh, some of the, the stuff that they get the phone calls they get the emails they get it's just insane I'm like I was at that I was at that service <laughs> what are they talking about okay because I, I have like nothing I have, I have like a t-shirt on so so it's I should have worn like a proper shirt a polo Marco. So, anyway, I'm looking forward to feedback. It was very good last week. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and if you missed, thank you. And if you missed it, um, if you go to the church website, click on the Chameleon Church link. Uh, it is up there. The audio is up there. And I think we have more people here listening to that outside of this building than we have in the building, which is pretty exciting because we have an audience, people. We have an audience. And it's going to be exciting when this place, when God's going to blow this place up. We've talked about that. And it's going to be exciting when that does happen because He's going to draw these people unto Himself. It's, it's going to be pretty amazing. So, anyway, last week we talked about the first part, kind of like a little preview, a little what? Yeah, a little introduction to the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Because this thing really does span the entire word. And it's, it's a bit challenging for me to put it into little pieces. Because I'm used to... Because once you, you know, once you get deep into this, you have to bring this up. Because it correlates and it ties in. And it doesn't, this doesn't work without that piece. And then when you go over there, you've got this piece over here. And it's like... So, piecing it up is going to be a little bit interesting. So, we, what did we talk about? We talked about... We started off with... Matthew chapter 6, Jesus flat out, very clearly and very plainly telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And by doing so, all our provision will be taken care of. And a couple, few verses before that, he flat out says, do not be like the pagans. They worry about how they're going to feed themselves. They worry about how they're going to clothe themselves how they're going to provide and feed for their families. The pagans do that. Don't be like the pagans. And instead of being like the pagans who do that, seek first the kingdom. And it's in His righteousness. And these things will be taken care of. We're talking spiritual, physical, psychological, emotional. He's going to take care of it. Flat out says so. We talked, on, we talked a little bit about that and how 
functioning, walking, living in a practical, with our practical reasoning as our main vehicle of modus operandi is demonic. We cannot do any of this. Your marriage, your relationships, your children, your business, your job, this community. There's absolutely nothing about any aspect of your life that can be functioning from a practical reasoning point because that's demonic, Jesus says. And the verse we talked about that was Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. And Peter's like, no. (laughs) And he's like, get behind me, Satan. And the next verse it says, you are not thinking with God's thoughts. You're not thinking with with a godly mentality. You're thinking with your practical reasoning. And he calls that demonic. And we gave some examples of that. Your electric bill is due. You don't have enough money. Or he tells you to go do something. You don't have enough money in the bank to do what God tells you to do. And how the vast majority of Christendom actually believes that God would never ask or require anything of me that I wasn't capable or comfortable with. And how that's just insane. That's just absolutely insane. I've been kind of freaking out about how we're going to break all this up in a way that I feel is actually bringing the message across and that you could actually grasp and the concept and I forgot to put my alarm on. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. Here's, a, here's, a, here's how we're going to break it down. In the Old Testament, Adam, he relinquishes his dominion, his spiritual authority, the deed to the earth, to Lucifer, when he sinned, when he disobeyed, when he did what, exactly what he was told not to do. Two, God then establishes his own race on earth because of the situation that occurred with the Watchers and the Nephilim and the land of Canaan and the demonic strain of humanity that was on the earth. He, he has to do a flood. They still survive the flood, the demonic strain of humanity that was on the earth. And so he creates his own people group. He's going to be their God. They're going to be his people, the nation of kings and priests. And he does that through Abraham. Abraham then, the covenant that Abraham has, is reinforced, it's actually, man, like nitro or like steroids, when he meets Melchizedek after the slaughter of the four kings. And Melchizedek blesses him with a blessing that is going to transcend four centuries, easily. And it's a, it's a blessing of prosperity and, and, and just, it's, it's, it's just, man, God's like, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to do it through you. Two Gentiles, Abraham and Sarah, and he creates a people group unto himself, the Hebrew people, the Jews, Israel, and we know that they have a, it's spiritual because they have a different DNA marker, or they have a DNA marker that the rest of humanity doesn't have, and this happened through two Gentiles. And so he does that. The, uh, it's, it's a blessing that's transferable over to Isaac. We see that, we know that because it says so. Um, the angel that is blessing me, I'm going to send with you when you go to take my son to go find himself a wife. Those of us that have been functioning together in Dallas, uh, Hunter can tell you, yeah, that's a transferable blessing. I saw Alan do it, and then he was able to transfer it to me, and then I'm doing it. I, uh, I, Ian can say that. I'm, I, know, I know Jacob can to an extent. I mean, this is a transferable blessing. We're talking about the chameleon-like ability, the chameleon blessing, Deuteronomy 8.18. What? What did I do? Everyone's chuckling. Well, they can talk to you about it. <laughs> we'll have testimony somewhere down the road. Um, it is the chameleon-like ability of Deuteronomy 8.18. God gives us the ability, the chameleon-like power uh, to, um, to create wealth, to create stuff out of nothing, to work with the substance of creation. Deuteronomy 8.18. 
We'll talk about that later. And then Moses comes on on the scene. He, God gives him Torah. God gives Moses God's instruction for his people. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to look. This is how you're going to eat. This is how you're going to interact with me. This is how you're going to interact with each other. And this is how you're going to interact with the people on this planet. And it's called my instructions, or the instructions of Moses, the Torah. The word law is a negative connotation. And they send out the spies. They, there's giants in the land. Everybody freaks out. They're punished for every day that they're in the land. 40 years in the desert. And what's really going on is God is preparing this people group for in this, during this 40 years. He's weeding them out. And He's preparing them and teaching them His ways, His standards, His statutes, His principles, His precepts. Because what they're about to go do, and that's they're going to go in and conquer and occupy the land of Canaan, full of hybrids. It's a demonic strain of humanity. It, it was going to require 40 years of them being taught. <laughs> schooling, uh, discipleship, all that stuff, just to even be able to accomplish what they do do when they do enter the land, yet they actually don't finish the actual task, and we're still left with this problem. Um, There's the covenant promises, the kingdom lifestyle. God says, hey, you're going to have a great life here on earth if you obey my commandments. If you don't obey my commandments, you're going to be cursed. You'll have disease and and illness among you. You'll be impotent. You'll be sterile. Uh, you'll You'll be poor. I mean, this is what the Bible says. We'll get into that when we get into that. Then we have Joshua. And the, the major, a major situation with Joshua and how God promises him that he'll succeed and prosper in everything that he says and does and, and everywhere his foot stands or walks if he keeps these commandments. And he goes in there to possess, which is an incredibly violent word in the Hebrew, which we'll get to, and goes in to conquer the land and Joshua is the type of Jesus. They, have, they share the same name. It's a pretty amazing thing, the Joshua principle and, and how that works. With the circumcision in Gilgal, our identity. Are we Egyptian slaves? Do we have an Egyptian slave mentality? Everyone do this. So we can, we'll break it down and you'll realize that, oh, I do all, most of what I do is like an Egyptian slave. Versus, hey, be circumcised. You're a king and a priest. Slaves don't have inheritance. They're kings and priests. They go forward. They go to inherit the land. Possess and occupy the land. And then we have the Old Testament judges, uh, Malachi, all the way through Malachi. It documents is- Israel's identity crisis and their disobedience issues. They, it's not that they couldn't obey God. They chose not to obey God. Doesn't that sound familiar? New Testament. Well, Jesus is the second Adam. He has dominion and spiritual authority. He restores it back to man, conquers it in death, returning to claim the earth's deed and establish earthly kingdom. That's what he's coming back to do. He lays out how to accomplish the, the above, uh, being God's resisting evil, kingdom life, etc., his parables, his teachings. I mean, he came and modeled it so that we would do it. Paul says to be imitators of him. I believe it's Paul. We'll get to that. We're a royal priesthood, kings and priests. We talked about that, but he's like, boom. Peter's like, hey, we're a royal priest. Kings, right? Kingly priests. Kings expand territory. Priests bring heaven down on top of that territory. Then, Paul's warning in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 regarding what happened in the desert, how it's an example for uh, the New Testament church, how not to be, what not to do, what happened to Israel, it will happen to us, and what it was that, that Israel didn't do to have this problem that Paul's talking about. They disobeyed. They didn't keep the commandments. They were lawless. We don't want that to happen to us. It's already happened. We've got to fix it. Our identity, feeding the 5,000, how, hey, you know what? You can really do this thing. 
He gives them the, the power to do so. The paradigm shift, the spiritual versus the practical, stewardship. It's all about stewardship. Um, the meanings and the talents, because the, it's the stewardship. He's coming, he, you know, he leaves, he gives us this whole deal to, to be stewards over, and then he's coming back to see how well we did with it. We're supposed to be delivering nations to him, sheep nations. Sonship. Man, that's a huge one. You're not going to get to sonship if you're not obedient and you're not a good steward. First you have to be intimate, then obedient, then a good steward, then we get sonship. And then the renewing of the mind, and then the seven mountains. These are all the things we're going to be talking about. And then the 2,000 years of the same identity crisis and disobedience issues that Christianity has, just like Israel. And I say this all the time, if we would understand that we are exactly like Israel, we would have a chance and a shot at this thing. But that's what we're here. We're here to understand the one new man concept and how we are exactly like Israel. We're grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. It's to the Jew first, salvation and curse, and then the Gentile, and they support the root of the tree. We don't. So, somehow we're going to figure all this out in a way that we can do this in, one, in, in multiple pieces as opposed to sitting around for two or three hours and watching your minds go pop, 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 pop. Because I love doing that. I love seeing that. Because it's like the Holy Spirit coming in and going, did you hear that? It's like, like Luke. Jesus opened up their minds to the law of Moses, the Torah, and the prophets. Right after, The first thing he does after the resurrection. He opened up their minds to the scriptures. We need our minds opened up to these scriptures so that we can walk scripturally. Adam, everybody have their Bibles? Smartphones? Genesis chapter 1. Told you, it's the whole Bible. <laughs> it's the full counsel of Scripture. It's not these two or three out-of-context verses that Paul wrote somewhere. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in the likeness of ourselves, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the animals, and over all the earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule or have dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and every living creature that crawls on the earth. Subdue means to overcome, bring under control, bring under control by force. Dominion. Adam was given dominion over his territory. Dominion scares Christians today. A lot of Christians. A huge amount of Christians are really freaked out at the possibility of the dominion doctrine that's out there that's based on the Seven Mountaintop prophecy, which we will get into because this is all part of it. And here's why. They do not believe the majority of, of Christianity... How do, how do I term it that's, that's, that's politically correct? Mainstream, the, the vast majority of mainstream Christianity does not believe that Jesus is coming back to establish a physical kingdom. And they cite verses out of context like, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, uh, I know, right? <laughs> I know. Israel was so convinced that Messiah was coming to establish a physical kingdom and free them from Rome 
that when he came and established a spiritual kingdom, they missed him. See, they thought he was coming as the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And he came as a lamb. Christianity, mainstream Christianity, literally believes that he's coming back as a lamb. I don't know where they... Some, like, peace-loving hippie wearing... Gentle Jesus. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Wearing, you know, uh, Birkenstocks or something. Smelling like patchouli oil. I don't know. And he's coming to establish a spiritual kingdom. Because he's all about love. This nebulous thing called love that unites all of us no matter what your theology or doctrine is. No. Scripture says he's coming back like a roaring lion, a conquering lion, slaughtering kings. Physically, his robe, his white robe is full of blood up to like right here, his chest. He's coming back, slaughtering kings to establish a physical rule, a physical kingdom on earth from Jerusalem as a rabbi eating fish in his new body, eating fish and walking through walls and absolutely Torah compliant. He won't be celebrating Easter, he won't be celebrating Christmas, he won't be celebrating Lent and he won't be eating pork or shellfish. I guarantee you, I promise you that. They don't believe this because he's coming back to establish a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. And that's the first part. The second part is he has no interest in nation states, especially the warmongering regime of Israel, those poor Palestinians in the Gaza. It's like a concentration camp, I'm telling you. This is the, I'm just telling you what I hear. I have these conversations. See, I've traveled all over this country. I've worked with every possible denomination, every possible doctrine and theology. I've had to deal with these people. Because when you play music and you're playing in different churches, that's what happens. And this is what they believe. He is not interested in nation states, and especially this horrible, horrible scourge of man called Israel. Because the Israel in the Bible is not the Israel in the land today. And the only people that don't believe that are Christians. Because, you know what? Their enemies believe that. That's why they want them dead. Isn't that weird? Islam wants Israel dead because they know they're the Israel of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And David sat on the throne in Jerusalem as its capital something like 4,000 years ago. They know that. And they want them gone. But Christianity, that's not the same Israel. Because if, if they were the same Israel, they wouldn't be doing what they were doing to Palestine. Really. So you were some blowhard, well, I don't know what the word is, when Joshua was taking over the land and wiping out seven nations and 31, country, uh, 31 kings, you were screaming foul because wouldn't, God wouldn't do that? They don't believe that. God is the same God of the Old Testament because of Jesus. Everything's changed now because he's not the same yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Oops, no, they do say that. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got a major, major problem. Really, really huge problem. So dominion of the earth. They freak out on, the, on, on any possibility that we as Christians are supposed to rule the earth. It really trips them out. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Because we're going we're gonna to answer all these questions, but we have to start in Genesis. That's why this is going to take months. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then Adonai. 15 minutes. 
Now, then Adonai formed a person, the Hebrew word was Adam, or Adam, from the dust of the ground, in the Hebrew is Adama, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, so that he became a living being. Verses 15 through 17. Adonai took the person and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. Adonai gave the person this order. You may freely eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat from it. Because on the day that you eat from it, see, it's not like if you. No, it's when you. <laughs> Sounds, that's exactly what Moses told Israel. Because on the day that you eat from it, it will become certain that you will die. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Ready? Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal which Adonai, God, had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You are not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You are neither to eat from it nor touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, It is not true that you will surely die, because God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it had a pleasing appearance, and that the tree was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was standing right there next to her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. They heard the voice of Adonai walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. So the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai among the trees in the garden. Adonai called to the man, Where are you? He answered. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I ordered you not to eat? Man. There are texts, non-canonized texts, that uh, suggest that this whole thing occurred in, in about an hour. That this horrible scenario that we just read occurred in about took about an hour to happen. Verse twenty-one through twenty-four, of chapter three. Adonai made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Remember that God made garments. The garments that God made himself for Adam and Eve. Remember that. Adonai made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Adonai said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, to prevent his putting out his hand and taking also from, that, from the tree of life, eating and living forever. Therefore Adonai sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. It's suggested that they left the garden, and it's called the Cave of Treasures, and it overlooked the garden, so they could see the garden in this cave. And since this infraction only lasted about an hour, they pretty much waited for God to stop being angry and let them back into the garden. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and it didn't happen. And he's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Surely this isn't, you know, I'm not out of here forever. You know, I only blew it for about an hour. And then it gets, you know, it gets even wilder than that. But it's just kind of interesting. It, like Peter, who's walking on the water, and he's like, wow, I'm walking on the water. 
And then he sees a wave coming and he transfers his spiritual authority and reverts back to his practical reasoning and says to himself, I shouldn't be able to do this. Well, of course you're not. And then he begins to sink. In the same way, Adam transferred his spiritual authority because he didn't revert back to a practical reasoning. He didn't have a practical reasoning. Adam was an immortal. He wasn't necessarily a man or a human like us. He was an immortal. And he was able to be deceived. What does that tell us? How much easier can we be deceived? Then now my critics cry, Oh no, Jesus! Jesus said, you know, that even hell won't stand against the church. Really, then why are we doing so great? That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. You're misunderstanding what Jesus said about that. If Adam, who's an immortal, could be deceived to death, we can too. A lot easier. That's why Paul says, you better make sure your election, your election, your selection is good. <laughs> this isn't a joke. On a daily basis, you better make sure when you go to bed at night, you're in right standing with the Lord. It's pretty important. So we have this really bad case scenario now. This planet doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Lucifer. He's the prince of this world. He's cast out of heaven to this planet. There's a huge war that occurs before Genesis chapter 1, verses 2. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, God, in this crazy, crazy idea of his is, you know what, I'm going to put this other being in the middle of this other being's deal. In the middle of his entire realm, I'm going to place this being called Adam in Lucifer's domain and realm and give him dominion over this other guy's turf and give him everything this guy wanted. Well, what do you think that's going to do? That's going to make something very, very upset with us. I'm really proud uh, at how I just said that. He hates us, like I said last week. He hates us with a passion you can only dream of. We are so hated. Hated so much that he knows he's going to lose this deal, but it doesn't matter as long as he can take you with him. And if you don't understand what it is we're talking about up here, you're going to miss him too, and he'll win. Because this is what we're talking about. This kind of, that level type stuff. This is it. This is game-changing stuff. So, what are we going to do about this? Well, here's what we're going to do about it. We do the whole app. Noah, we've got to wipe it all out, start over. They survived the flood. Do the whole Mo- uh, Abraham thing, the Moses thing, the David thing, the prophets thing, the Jesus thing. And Jesus is out on the... gets baptized in water. Holy Spirit comes down on him. And he goes out into the desert. And I like the way Lance Wall now puts it because it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's an unguarded moment, he says, in the scriptures. So he's, Lucifer confronts him and starts tempting him with food and tempting him with all this stuff. What does Jesus use to combat Lucifer? The Torah. The Torah. You know, that silly thing that's been done away with and not applicable for us. Jesus combats Lucifer with Torah. It gets to the point where Lucifer takes Jesus to the top of the, the temple and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory and their majesty and their power. And he goes, all of these are mine and they're mine to give to whomever. I know who you are. You know who I am. I know why you're here. You're here for the nations. 
and you know that they're mine. So let's just cut to the chase. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give them to you. Jesus is like, nah, I'm going to take them from you. I'm going to take them from you. Boom, he's gone. That's what this whole thing is about. Capturing the nations, turning them into sheep nations, so that when Jesus comes back, we have the harvest. We have the harvest to give to him, to rule over. How do we know that? The parable of the minas. We'll do that another day. In the meantime, Jesus teaches us how to walk here on earth in order to accomplish this task so that we can actually accomplish it and accomplish it correctly and how to walk kingdom so that when he comes back, what, what is this all about? It's about preparing a people to co-rule, to rule with him on earth when he comes back for the millennium reign. The one new man. That's so exciting. I mean, what could be more exciting than that? I mean, there's still going to be radio, there's still going to be television, bad radio, bad music, bad TV, but then there's going to be kingdom radio and kingdom TV. Have you ever thought about that? That's amazing. And he'll be ruling from Jerusalem. And the vast majority of the people we know will think he's some crazy Jewish terrorist hell-bent on Zionism. And he took care of this Antichrist guy that was making us all happy. This guy is a bad guy. The Jesus guy. Because we're all happy with this Antichrist guy. Think about it. It's going to play out exactly like that. And all our friends are going to go, you little remnant are so weird. We finally have a guy that's brought peace, economic stability globally. He's united Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And we're like, no, that's pure evil, dude. (laughs) And they're going to think we're nuts. They already think I'm nuts. Don't you? How does this work? How does this this massive cosmic shift occur? Well, our older brother, our elder brother Jesus created the cosmic shift. Now we just need to create the cosmic shift within ourselves and our paradigm. Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me. Jesus says that. Jesus is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. He forfeited everything. And He owned everything. He gave it all up to become a man. He re-inherited everything as a man. Because Jesus the God already has all authority. Jesus the man, all authority has been given to me. He re-inherits everything as a man so so as to give it to us, you and I, as our inheritance. After His successful resurrection, defeated the power of death, the power of hell, the grave and the power of sin, He stands before all, all of humanity and says, I've got the keys back. That which was lost in the garden, I've got it back. Now, let's go do plan A. He's just correcting everything. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He makes this declaration, not as God, but as man and our elder brother. Now, if Jesus can say, as our elder brother, as the son of man, all authority has been given to him, then there's someone and something that we have been preoccupied with that has no authority. This is where my little labyrinth video pops up. If You guys are missing out. You're not getting the whole enchilada. Uh, if Lucifer has no authority, then where does he get his authority from? Right? Because Jesus has all authority. But we've been preoccupied with something 
that has no authority. Where does Lucifer get his authority from? We give it to him. Yep. Why would you do that? To whom you yield, you become servants. What you serve when you climb up the mountain is what you're going to serve when you get to the top of the mountain. He has to do what he did in the garden. He has to talk until someone comes into agreement with him. Because when you believe the lie, you empower the liar. Agreement empowers everything. Before the will of God can occur in your life, you have to stand in alignment and agreement with the word of God. Or it will not come to pass. See, I know many of us will go, oh yeah, I had to make agreement with the Lord in order for that thing to occur, for His will to occur. We have to be in agreement with the will of God in order for that will of God to occur in our life. And the only way we can do that is if this is functioning correctly, our minds, like we talked about. All authority has been given to Jesus. The enemy can only be empowered if you give it to him. That's where the the mentality comes in. I'm going to walk in the kingdom principles or I'm going to revert to my practical reasoning because I don't have enough money, my wife just fell ill, uh, my car blew up, whatever. In order for us on earth, as it is in heaven, we must begin by living the kingdom within ourselves. And like our dear sister said, the apostolic commission to pray on earth as it is in heaven is not only our assignment, we're also obligated to pray in that way and to watch it happen. See, it's not an option. It's not an option. You have to walk kingdom-wise in everything that you do. Last week, every facet of your life, every aspect of your life, everything, everything, relationships, marriages, children, jobs, businesses, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically, it all has to be aligned with the kingdom of God or you will not make it. It's just that simple. I only know those that do the will of my Father, and we know what the Father's will is. Seek me first, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, heart, body, essence. Do my will. And you can't do that if you're messing around with practical reasoning every time you turn around. And that's what we do. What does Paul say one of the things that killed Israel? They grumbled. Grumbling is about as practical reasoning as you can get. My wife, my kid, that person, a family member, that Allen guy. <laughs> you know? We grumble, 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 whatever. That killed Israel in the desert. That's one of the things. So it's not an option. It's, it's at the absolute center of why God has left us on this planet. And that's to be kingdom people, to walk on this earth as it is in heaven. There's no way around it. He has plans for planet Earth. That's why he's tarried so long. There's a plan in place. What's that plan? The plan he has for you is the same exact plan he had for Israel when it came to the land of Canaan. Nothing's changed. Think about it. First Adam, second Adam, Joshua, Jesus, Shavuot, Pentecost. It's the cyclical concept. The reason why we have a problem with it is for our Greek and Roman linear mindset. It's a square peg in a round hole. You're going to miss it every time. God's a cyclical concept. 
Hebrew is a cyclical concept. The Bible is a cyclical concept. That's how he set it up. The same plan he has for you and I right now is the same exact plan he had for Israel and the land of Canaan, and that was to possess it and to occupy it. Christians are, are squatters, basically. They don't know how to possess and they don't know how to occupy. And that's part three. And this is going to be really hard because now we've got to get into the Joshua Principle, Gilgal, and the whole reason why they went into the land of Canaan. And I don't know how we're going to do that in 30 minutes. Any questions? Any concerns? Let's do it now. Don't hide behind an anonymous email. No? So you guys are understanding this. You guys are agreeing with it. You guys see how this needs to be applicable to your life. We have to be kingdom people. Kingdom principles are all about the invisible realm of our mind and how that's functioning and how that's supposed to function so that we can be kingdom people. Thank you.